Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the bullpen. In the bullpen today, I have Dr. Stan Voiger. Dr. Stan Voiger is a PhD in economics from Harvard, also has an AM. That's what fancy people call a master's degree. How are you, sir? I'm doing well, thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for being on the program. We're gonna chop it up about economic policies. Now, I'm not an economist and I do not hold a PhD in economics. But I do some research obviously and I'm concerned about the economy. So I don't wanna presume what you know or believe about the economy as it relates to left versus right context. So if you would give us your sentiment. Well, I think right now things are Things are slowly recovering. I think we were doing a lot better, obviously, than a year ago when we had just come out of a complete lockdown. I think public policy between then and now has been quite good, provided a lot of support to to people who were struggling during the pandemic, during the during the lockdowns, while the virus was was out of control. I think we're now very gradually getting back to normal. I do think there are there are a couple of major concerns. I think one, we've seen pretty dramatic price increases in in, in certain categories. I don't think it's entirely clear why that's happening, right? Some of that is issues with supply chains, with shipping containers, longstanding supply side issues in the economy, like a you know lack of housing, things like that. Um, I think separately, obviously the Delta variant and the you know just relatively low levels of vaccination here in the U.S. Uh, have made it so that the economy cannot fully recover. And so I think both of those things are, are concerning. The latter, I think we're slowly uh, starting to address with, with mandates and, and the like. Uh, but, but I do think that you know, it's, it's disappointing to see the economy is doing the way it is. Uh, and I think four months ago, five months ago, there was much more reason for optimism uh, than there is now. Yeah, I think you're 100% right on the supply chain because naturally we coexist in a global market. So you don't have significant exclusionary opportunity as it relates to commerce anymore. And I had a professor who would tell me, you don't have to look at a lot of fancy statistics. You can look at coffee, cars and clothes. And when you see a decrease in the purchase of coffee, cars and clothes, that means that people are spending less money because they they either A, have less disposable income or B, they do not feel confident to purchase those things because of the market. So do you attribute this to a lack of disposable income or consumer confidence in the market, which one? So I so first of all, let me say I'm I'm a little more sympathetic toward the fantasy statistics as you as you call them. You know, yep. gotta gotta defend the economics profession. There, I I think disposable income I don't I really don't think is the issue by any metric. I think aggregate disposable income is is in great shape, much better than it was even before the pandemic. Obviously, there are people who struggle, but in the aggregate, so much money has gone out and people cut back on spending so much last year. That you know, a lot of people have more cash on hand, and so you know, have built up more. So it's an issue of confidence, right? It's spending so, confidence. So I think it's a, it's a, it's confidence, but it's not consumer confidence in the sense that people are necessarily worried about what's going to happen to their own finances next month. I think what people are worried about is they don't want to go out, they don't want to plan travel because they're still concerned about the pandemic. And then separately, I think 
it just takes a while for the economy to, to rebuild. We see tons of vacancies. Uh, we, you know, I, I think companies are trying to uh, to build back their uh, their organizational structures. And so I think that's a little different from from a traditional lack of confidence in sort of people's own future financial position. I think it really is, uh, you know, the structure of the economy slowly readjusting more than that. Let me ask you this because I'm always fascinated by you economic guys. Because this stuff is really difficult to figure out trajectory, modeling, understanding fluctuations in the market. And there's some stuff financially you all just can't figure out. I mean, it happens and you're still trying to get to the bottom of why, right? So it's a lot of nuance here. But as it relates to the economy of those on the right, you know, their policies, policy, is the mover and shaker of the economic market. And then the policies on the left. If you take an aggregate, if you use one of those fancy statistical models that you all look at, you will see clearly that Democratic presidents typically oversee a more robust market. That includes private sector growth, GDP, a decrease in national debt, at least in modern history. And then you can do a calculation from 1933 and beyond and see that Democratic presidents have created a net positive in economic factors more so than Republicans, even though they claim in their campaigns and political speeches that they are the ones more business friendly. They are the ones that will get America working based on the data from the Labor Bureau and others. They're not the masters of job creation. Well, I think certainly if you look at the past 25 years, you know, obviously it's a very small sample, right? It's five presidents. Certainly the two Republican administrations have ended pretty disastrously in economic terms. I think that's true for the Bush administration, it's true for the Trump administration. I don't think I agree with you that the state of the economy is is at the control of, of the president. But it's, it's greatly so influenced. You know, the, when we get into these debates or conversations, it seems as if we, we, we want to take full credit without taking full blame. At some point, the president inherits the economy truly. Now, some economists say, you know, you have to wait for a year or two before a new president can own the economy. And I'm sure you've heard that before. So, so tell me how much influence do you think a president has on the economy, if at all? So I think in a crisis situation, right? Like what we saw last year, what we're to some extent still still seeing now, or in a situation like the one after the global financial crisis, I think their economic policymakers can have a ton of influence, but not just the president. But the I think the the Federal Reserve is perhaps as important as the president. I think Congress is extraordinarily important because ultimately Congress plays a key role in deciding the stance of fiscal policy. And so I think even two years after a president enters office, I don't think you can give the president you know, full credit or full blame for whatever is going on. Though obviously I agree with you that politicians like to, like to claim credit and deny, deny fault. But I, just as I don't think you know, the Trump administration should get, should get Full credit for the pretty strong state of the economy in early 2020. I don't think the Biden administration should be should be either blamed or credited for what's for what's going on now. I think that's I think that's just not not really how it works. I don't think the the president has as much power when it comes to macroeconomic policy as he does, for example, in foreign policy, right, where the president has much more control over the. The, the levers of power of the American government. I think it really is a mix of external circumstance, Federal Reserve, Congress, and the president 
as well as to some extent state and local decision makers, which have been you know much more prominent, much more visible, I think, during this crisis than they were in 2009, 2010. So I, I just don't think you can do that direct link, though I understand the attraction. And I do agree with you that both politicians and voters like to draw those connections well, in and a much tighter way than I would. Because there are significant influences. While I agree that all of these variables do count as well, the President of the United States is in a position of significant influence, not only to enhance policy, but also create consumer confidence, even if it's a new type of consumer confidence because of a post COVID or inside of COVID reality. Let me push back on something about the modern presidents. If you calculate back from 1933, all right, so you get a bigger sample size. Under Democrats, since 1933, the growth rate on average for non-farm jobs increased, <clears throat> excuse me, um, by 2.8% under Democratic presidents, compared to only 1% under Republican presidents during that same time frame. And then you go to your GDP. Your GDP grew annually. Under that same time period, once again, a larger sample size by 4.6% under Democrats compared to only 2.4% under Republicans. Now, I bring that to your attention. I understand you have a multivariable universe here, and we will have to do some pretty deep research analysis to bring to the forefront all of the variables. But you can't say that every single time is just a coincidence, because in order to believe that every time there's a Democrat, I'm talking about every time in modern history and since 1933, you have seen a significant increase in the enhancement of economic factors for blacks, for Latinos, for whites, all the way across the spectrum, more so under Democrats than under Republicans. What are the policies? Emphasis in training programs, funding for education. Emphasis in workforce ready programs or work source or workforce development. You have all of these dynamics connected to social policies within the Democratic Party that equated to a more stable workforce that absolutely put more food on the table of the average household. 100% of the time under Democratic presidents, the average family median income increased 100% of the time. So brother, you cannot argue. The statistics, I'm a statistician myself. That kind of coincidence, brother, that's, you would hit the lottery before you got that kind of significant statistical congruency, right? Well, again, I'd say that's, that's what five Democratic presidents, five Republicans. It's a small, you know, that's, you can't, I don't think you can, you can summarize, uh, you know, basic modern world history that way. How many presidents? Right? Like, what was the, what was the most important economic history FDR implemented? World War II. What was the most, what was the most uh, important uh, economic policy uh, President Obama implemented, right? It was probably, uh, you know, just being there as the economy recovers from the global financial crisis. Well, let yeah. me let me answer that. You ask a question, let me pose an answer to you, um, because what happens? We look at economic policies in the bubble. There's something that President Obama did. A couple of things he did that are not related to economic policies, but they impacted the economic reality of many. Um, one. He instructed his DOJ to aggressively prosecute and find companies that engaged in discriminatory pay practices. And what happened? It increased the pay of women, 
and increase the pay of black and brown folks. They did that. That was a policy that but had that to- That is, you know, like, and we can agree or disagree over whether those policies are valuable or effective. But well, that is well, not- Wait a minute. That, that is not a- Doctor. That is not a policy that explains a 2% difference in GDP growth. Well, doctor, I'm I telling you a policy Obama that explains- I think Sir, in the, in the Obama years, the most effective economic policy, I think, was probably TARP, right? which kept. So, Doc, uh, I'm, I'm not disagreeing that TARP yeah. is massive, but let me explain to you some of the variables that I believe contributed to these stats I'm going to read to you. Uh, under Democratic presidents, black families increased their incomes by damn near a thousand bucks, okay? Um, under Republican presidents, it only increased by $142, all right? Once again, that's your aggregate count. Um, under well, Democratic presidents, unemployment rate fell by 7.9%, but it actually went up by 13.7 points under Republicans. Latinos have a very similar um, data set where, okay, now you have a Democrat in place, you have a better financial or economic outcome. You cannot dismiss the reality of the DOJ's decision where you got black folks being paid, or black males in particular, black females, the number was worse. 80 cent on the dollar of their white counterparts in a similar job with the same background or similar background. Under the Obama administration, that number started moving in the right direction where we're going to 81, 82, 83, 84, 85%. And then when Trump gets in, he then tells his Department of Justice to basically abandon that aggressive program. And all of a sudden, now the pay disparity has dropped back to 70 cent on the dollar and below. That's a real cause and effect relationship that does actually impact the economic reality of Americans. And yet, at the near the end of the Trump administration, the unemployment rate for for African Americans, for Latinos, was lower than it had ever been. Right. So those those bigger macro forces, I think, just completely outweigh the kind of policies. So let's talk about unemployment. I think if there's something you should you should give Democratic presidents credit for, it's the more is the broader civil rights legislation from the 50s, 60s, 70s. I do that. I think made a really dramatic impact. You know, not just morally, not just in terms of freedom, but economically too, where enormous groups of people suddenly had yeah. a better chance of, of participating in By the, the way, economy. By the way, Doc, fully. you just cited what I cited. The anti-discriminatory policies implemented by the Department of Justice under President Obama derived this authority from that same Civil Rights Act. You just said what I said. For sure, but I'm saying the actions during the Obama administration, I think were relatively small ball compared to those earlier developments. The other Let's major development that explains you know, a ton of the labor force and labor force participation growth over the past 60 years, of course, is the, the changing role of women in society. I think that's a you know broad development originally, you know, probably a little more Popular on the Republican side, then from the 60s on, of course, a major Democratic priority. And so those kinds of policies, I do think, are important enough in a macroeconomic sense to really make a difference. But they yeah. are slow moving, and I don't think you can attribute those to specific four-year time windows, right? That's just okay. a completely right, so, different. So Donald Trump time gets scale. no blame and gets no blame and no credit, correct? Donald Donald Trump gets blamed for plenty of stuff and gets credit for for some items. Yeah, <laughs> All right, that's a, so, that's so a let me way to let me it. bring your attention to something you just said about unemployment, uh, that black and brown people were employed uh, at a record rate. So let's talk about the unemployment numbers. Uh, naturally, the unemployment numbers were moving in the right direction under President Obama. Uh, it, he actually had a record increase of uh, job or private sector job growth under his administration. Uh, Trump 
kept it steady. It was not a record breaking increase, but he didn't blow it, okay? Now, I mean, it went low, a lot lower than people thought was possible, right? And you, you, I think one thing you can give him credit for, I don't think he thought this through in the same way, but fiscal policy was much looser, right? There was there were large tax cuts during the Trump administration. I think fiscal policy was looser than people thought was was reasonable. Yeah. And instead of inflation, what we got was was very low unemployment rates and 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 relatively right. fast wage growth. So so the tax cuts under the under the Trump administration were more so tax shifts. I think uh, because were, I think they were reasonable. Well, sir. Expect, yeah. All right. The tax cuts under the Trump administration were actually tax shifts because most Americans paid more in actual taxes per year than the tax cut. You already know that, correct? Well, that's just that's just not true. Practically okay. everyone sir, got a tax. The tax cuts jobs act. Practically every everyone ended up paying less taxes than they did before. Sir, that that's one hundred percent untrue. What I will do next time you come on the show, and we'll invite you back. We will we will specifically talk about the taxation system under Trump, as opposed to what he promised. I'd love to. But what I want to do, and not my producers will tell me I got a few minutes. I want to take you back to what you said about unemployment for Black and Latinos. Okay, because you guys like to say that number without providing context. Are you familiar with the U3 rating system? I am indeed. Okay, you're familiar with the U6 rating system? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you already know what I'm. Those about. are the fantasy statistics that you were you were attacking earlier on. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So 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 you could say that, but brother, you just said, oh, more black people were employed, more Latinos were employed, and you know better, Doc. Because they were using, the administration was using a U3 rating system, which basically is a 30 day survey model that says if you have technical employment, technical, one hour is technical. If you have technical employment, even if it's seasonal, if it's contractual, if it doesn't pay the bills, if it's part time, it doesn't matter. That system, that U3 rating system will say employed, employed, employed. However, the U6 rating system will provide context and nuance. The U6 rating system will say, Okay, this is seasonal, this is contractual, this really wasn't a job. They only work one hour or they only work one week. And it provides significant background. And when you calculated the U6 rating system, you found that black people were either unemployed or underemployed at a rate of 22%. But even economists like yourself, you will come to a debate and say, "Oh, they were employed. No, they were not I, actually employed, they couldn't pay bills with that. I think you're. I think that's that, that misrepresents what what the two different uh, rates uh, represent a little bit. First of all, both come from the same survey, right? It's the same Bureau mm-hmm. of Labor Statistics survey that you extract those numbers from. What U6 does is it has a broader conceptualization of the labor force, right? So it counts more people as being willing or available to to to. And work. it also counts what kind so, of work it is. And so automatically it produces, just by construction, it produces a higher unemployment rate. That's true for African Americans, that's true for Latinos, that's true for white people too. Right. But that's not, you know, that it's just a broader notion of what it means to be unemployed. And that broader notion was also at a historically low level near the end of the but Trump Doc, administration. Don't you think again, I don't want to give the Trump administration credit for that. That was obviously an economic expansion that started during the Obama administration, right, and you know that just ended with historically good numbers. All right, so I don't Doc, think there's a point in denying that. Yeah. Doc, think about it, man. You have a freaking PhD in economics from Harvard, right? You don't think it's misleading to simply throw out the U3 rating system, knowing 
that that's not a true representation of the workforce, nor the true representation of a person's ability to pay the bills. Because I think it's very difficult to capture the entire state of the of the of the economy, of the labor market, of the workforce, of people's well-being in one number, right? That's why we have these different. Uh, Concepts of the unemployment rate, that's why we measure disposable income, that's why we measure GDP growth. Right? There's many different dimensions to, to the state of the economy. I think U3 measure is an important one, so is the U6 one. They all moved in the same direction, they were all doing pretty well in early 2020. All right. And then the pandemic came and obviously you know, the Trump administration did not respond well to that. Yeah, it, it went to hell because of the politics that he placed before. Uh, the science of what was happening around them. I, I think that it was a major disaster. Uh, and I also have said this on the record. If Trump would have handled COVID properly, he would have got reelected easily. Now, I, and listen, Democrats, they weren't terribly excited about voting for Biden, but they were hell of excited to vote against Donald Trump. And there you have it. All right, Doc, I'll bring you back. We'll talk about the taxation plan in Anytime. more detail, man. Anytime. All right. It's fun, man, debating Very with good. a PhD in economics from Harvard. There you go. <laughs> Thank All you, right. brother.